My story is you don't have to be the smartest kid in math class to be awesome at data science. I like math, but to be honest, it's not something I'm very good at. And, and I will be the first person to say math is hard. I don't just sit down there and, and read a math book and go, oh yeah, I could prove that stuff. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy flipping to the back of the book, trying to find the answer to being like, oh my gosh, how'd they do that? That's, that's genius. Because I struggle with it, I have to take it slow. And by taking it slow, that's how I know how to explain each step to everyone. That when, when I break things down into small pieces, I'm not doing it for you or the audience. I'm doing it for myself. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of The Artist of Data Science. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram at The Artist of Data Science and on Twitter at Artist of Data. I'll be sharing awesome tips and wisdom on data science as well as clips from the show. Join the free open mastermind Slack channel by going to bit.ly.com forward slash Artist of Data Science, where I'll keep you updated on bi-weekly open office hours that I'll be hosting for the community. I'm your host, Harpreet Sahota. Let's ride this beat out into another awesome episode. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. today is a multi-talented native of Chapel Hill, North Carolina, who's not only a cellist, composer, and singer, but a statistician and data scientist who has helped empower learners from all over the globe by breaking down complicated statistics and machine learning topics into small, bite-sized pieces that are easy to understand. He's earned a bachelor's degree in music theory and composition, as well as computer science from Oberlin College and a PhD in computational bio stuff from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. In addition to the creative work he's done composing soundtracks for several independent films, television commercials, and modern dance productions. He served as a postdoctoral fellow and assistant professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where his work focused on developing novel statistics and visualization methods for high-throughput sequencing technologies. However, you might better recognize him from his YouTube channel, where he's been creating videos since May 2011 as StatQuest, creating educational and entertaining videos that demystify the complex concepts from statistics, machine learning, and data science into small, simple, easy to understand steps. At StatQuest, he's beloved by his audience of nearly 270,000 subscribers and 12.6 million viewers for not dumbing down the material and instead building you, the learner, up so that you're smarter and have a better understanding of statistics and machine learning. So please help me welcoming our guest today with a thunderous double bam. Dr. Joshua Starmer. Joshua, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be here today, man. I really, really appreciate having you here. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Talk to us about your journey, how you first got interested in statistics and machine learning, and kind of what drew you to the field. It's a little embarrassing. So I first got interested in statistics as a graduate student. I wasn't a statistics major, but I had to take statistics classes. And I thought the women in the statistics program were pretty cute. And I thought that if I wanted to get their attention, I had to be good at statistics. So I studied a lot. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of how it all started. I, I was in these classes and I was like, how do I, how do I get these people's attention? <laughs> I wish I went to school or you went to school because uh, <laughs> people in statistics classes, they just, 
all look like geeky guys like me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, no, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm attracted to geeky people. I don't know. But uh, I just, I mean, I just thought they were just, they all knocked me out. That was awesome, man. I love those classes. So where do you see the field of data science headed in the next uh, two to five years? I mean, I just see it becoming more and more important because we're only getting better at generating large data sets. I mean, the technology is just moving really fast. We're constantly in a almost kind of like a Wild West situation where uh, we're generating data faster than we kind of know what to do with it. And so to me, that's a lot of the fun of data science is we get to be creative and, and come up with new ways because this is this data is, uh, I mean, no one's ever, I don't know. It, I don't, I mean, I just assume that next year they're going to have a whole new way of generating crazy amounts of data doing something new and and they're going to need us uh, to come in and make sense of it. And some of that's going to be using established statistics. Some of that's just making stuff up as we go. I just see it as becoming more and more important. Definitely. And I, I definitely make up stuff as I go at work. <laughs> Hopefully my boss isn't listening. <laughs> so, so in this, in this vision of the future where it's, you know, kind of like yeah. the wild west, a bunch of data coming yeah. in, uh, more, like you mentioned, more than we know what to do with. Like, what do you yeah. think is going to separate the great data scientists from the merely good ones? I think, it's, and this is true of any field, I feel like the great people are the ones that understand the main ideas and don't get lost in the details. Because when you understand the main ideas, you can see a tool for what it truly is and what it's truly worth. And you don't get swept up in all the hype. And our field is full of hype and that's good and bad. Um, you know, it attracts people to the field, smart people get sucked into it as well. And, but the bad thing is, is, is you have to kind of recognize despite the hype tools are only good at doing certain things. And if you know the main ideas, you'll know what tool is the right one for the right job. And I think those are going to be the great data scientists. Yeah. I think there's a quote, something along the lines of, um, the, the, the methods or the tools are many, but the principles are few, right? So mm-hmm. Whoever attends the, the principles will really have that, that strong foundational grasp of the concept and have that real command. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Music theory mixed with computer science and statistics. That's like really, really interesting combination to study in school. Uh, can you first talk to us a bit about what music theory is, what a music theorist does? Maybe if you've done any research that ties music theory together with statistics. Well, I can tell you what music theory is and, uh, and what a music theorist does. And so what they do is they... Um, Music theory is just a way to break down music into its components of harmony, rhythm, and melody. So in some ways, what I used to do to music is what I now do with machine learning and statistics. I break them down into small components, which are really quite simple and easy to understand in and of themselves. So in some ways, what I do now is just a continuation of what I was doing as an undergrad where, you know, we would just look at a sheet of music and we'd say, well, what are the essential pieces that make this piece of music? Lots of it make it special, but there are certain little key nuggets in there that really make that piece of music special. And and now I just do that for algorithms. As I look at the algorithm, I go, what makes this algorithm special? Or what are the little pieces? How how can we break it into into little little things and, and understand the little parts and then put them back together? That's music theory. And I, I mean, I was really into music back then. <laughs> Machine learning was sort of like, uh, I mean, it was sort of there and artificial intelligence was sort of there. Uh, but, but I don't even know if they offered statistics at the college I went to. It wasn't even really an option. I was watching this show. I think it's called like American Gods. And, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the episodes, there's this pretty much like the dawn of AI or whatever. And some 
one of the characters wrote like some type of program that statistically sampled music from like, I don't know, Mozart or something like that and just created randomly, artificially created music. And yeah, it just sounded really interesting and really cool. So yeah, I did, did something like that as an undergrad. Yeah. I, I wrote a program that um, was basically based on sort of random number distributions or statistical distributions. And it would, I mean, it, the effect was like really fancy sounding wind chimes. And so the underlying algorithm was maybe more impressive than it needed to be. But, but that was a, an early experiment I did with sort of trying to use randomness or, you know, in a statistical sense. So it's not like pure random noise, uh, but using randomness in a controlled setting to get kind of like a soothing kind of ambient music that you could just kind of play while you're doing your work rather than sort of like make a, a song that people have to listen to is more just like what would be just cool to be like playing while I'm studying, you know, that kind of thing. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, so, very fascinating. Almost like a soothing white noise. Kind yeah, of, exactly. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Do you think having a deep understanding of math has helped you be more creative as a musician or, or vice versa? I definitely think creativity has helped me with math. It also kind of, it's also a scary thing because I have to be careful not to like invent new things that don't actually exist in the mathematical realm. But, uh, but I think it's more like the music kind of pours over into, I think it all started with music to begin with. And it just sort of pours into machine learning for me. Music itself though, when I'm playing my music or I'm writing my own music, it's strictly by feel. I don't, I don't try to think about it too much. And it's really my, my way of just sort of resetting my brain. I pick up my guitar, or my ukulele, and I start playing and, and my head just completely clears. And I'm, I'm in this like weird space where I'm just not thinking at all. And I love that with machine learning and, and algorithms that you have to be thinking all the time. There's no just like, let's just feel this out. <laughs> And see what happens. Uh, but there's still like, there's definitely an element of discovery in both. When I'm not thinking and I'm playing music, it's because I'm, I'm on an adventure and I'm looking for something new and I'm just going to see where I end up. And I, sometimes I end up really cool places. And, and that's, that is sort of what happens with when I'm looking at new machine learning algorithms or I'm trying to understand that I'm just, I don't try to plan it out in advance how I'm going to learn or what I'm going to learn. I just dive in and I just go, well, let's just see what happens. And, uh, and sometimes things connect and sometimes they don't. And then if they don't, then I just put it down and I, and I come back to it later and I don't try to force it. That sounds to me a lot like my process when I'm doing like exploratory data analysis. Like everything yeah. you just described is, is pretty yeah. much, you know, okay, when I first start a project and I first get presented a uh, problem statement and a data set, let's just, this is slice, dice it, summarize, yeah. aggregate, organize, feel it out, see what happens. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty cool, man. What's up, artists? Be sure to join the free Open Mastermind Slack community by going to bit.ly.com forward slash artists of data science. It's a great environment for us to talk all things data science, to learn together, to grow together. And I'll also keep you updated on the open bi-weekly office hours that I'll be hosting for our community. Check out the show on Instagram at the artists of data science. Follow us on Twitter at artists of data. Look forward to seeing you all there. I'd love to get more into your music here. So if you could, if you could talk to, talk to us about your music, the work you've yeah. done in that space. Uh, so yeah. what, is, what are some of the commercials and films that have featured your music? Our music has been used to sell, among other things, motorcycle helmets. So maybe you saw that motorcycle helmet. I actually don't remember what, what the brand was, but, but it was uh, motorcycle helmets. For, it was kind of actually bizarre. It was like off-road motors, like for like people doing like cycle, you know, where they do those crazy jumps and things like that. It was, it was, uh, but it was like, I had this really soothing music 
but it had a banjo line in it. And somehow it like set the mood of like this dad buying his kid a, a new helmet for his birthday. It had this sense of nostalgia and, and, uh, and that, that sold motorcycle helmets. But I've also done, I, I know I've done music for, um, sort of like to encourage people to vote certain, I had a, a, a friend of mine who was a filmmaker in Pennsylvania was working on a campaign there and he used some of my music for that. But for films, uh, I've done two like short kind of mini films, like 30 minute long films. And one of them went to cons, which were the, which was pretty cool. You know, I've had a little bit of experience doing that and it's, and it's fun. I mean, it's, I'll be honest, it's not something I probably want to do all the time. Uh, I actually I love doing the statistics thing. So here, what I learned, maybe, maybe I'm going to, maybe this is a little rambling, but I will say some things I learned uh, when I was doing music was um, I always wanted to innovate in the area of music. Maybe my music is, isn't actually that innovative in and of itself, but it's something I always wanted to do. Whereas TV people and the movie people were always, they'd always play me something and go, what we really want you to do is we want you to write something at pretty much sounds like this. We just don't want to pay them because they're going to ask for a lot more money. <laughs> so what we want you to do is write something that sounds a lot like it, just enough that we won't get so sued for copyright infringement. And, and I got that in the commercials and I got that in the, in the films. And that was, a, was kind of like a, a rude awakening because I love just kind of innovating and creating my own thing. And surprisingly enough, and this took me a, a while to realize, music really wasn't a good place for me to do my own thing. A really good place for me to do my own thing was in, of all places, statistics and machine learning, where when I make a video, I just do what I want. I don't copy someone. I don't sit there and go, well, this is how they did it. So I'm going to do it just like them, but I'm going to change it just a little bit. No, I, I, I start from scratch and I go, how could I do this completely different from anybody else? And that to me, we're kind of making that realization that my passion for kind of innovating and creating something new that's really my own thing I never, I always thought that'd be, a, I grew up and I spent my whole life thinking that would be in music. And I, it's only in the past couple of years, I discovered that it was statistics and machine learning where I feel like I can express myself. Who, who knew? That's very, very beautifully put, man. Like that, that does. Thanks. Got, got me right here. <laughs> really well put. Uh, so you've got so you got great music on on Spotify and on Bandcamp. Uh, which album would you recommend that our audience go check out of yours? I'm always I'm always whatever it is, whatever my latest song or my latest album is. That's my I'm always most excited about that because I feel like I I've always learned I've learned from my mistakes or whatever. So my latest album, which is called Made for TV, it's on Bandcamp. Joshua Starmer Bandcamp. And I'm really proud of it. I mean, I'm proud of all my albums. So I started a, um, golly, seven or eight years ago I, for a, a New Year's resolution. I decided to write and record a new song every month. And I've been doing that for 85, 86, 87 months now. I, I, yeah, I mean, it was like a real struggle to make it through that first year. It was a really struggle to make it through that first month, like month one, January, song number one, almost didn't happen. Uh, but it did. And then I kind of just got momentum. And, and now I've been doing it for years and years and years. So every year I have a new album and my new album right now is called made for TV. That's my baby. So what's the recording process like? Like, do you record everything yourself, do all the editing, all the mixing, all that stuff? For the most part, I do it all myself. There was a phase uh, where I had a band um, and I had a drummer and a bass player and a guitar player. And we had a band and the bass player had kids. <laughs> 
<laughs> and, and then, you know, somebody else had something to do. And I, I kept reforming the band like every six months with new people. And it was, ended up just being a lot more um, logistically challenging uh, because every time I'd reform the band, it'd be like different people with different skills. And so we basically have to relearn the songs or rewrite them for a new ensemble every time. And now I just do everything myself. And, uh, and I, 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 that's the way I started. It was everything myself. And then I went to band phase and now I'm kind of back to all myself. I, I, I do fantasize that one day I'll have band phase again. Cause band is the band is really fun because it's, it's cool to see what people bring to the music. Like it's, it's cool to have like something in mind, but when you have a really good drummer and they, they bring magic, you know, and right now I'm, I'm not a great drummer, but I do my own beats and they're, they're good, but they're not, they don't have that magic. So I, I've, the fantasy is that the band will come back. That's a, that's a lot of work, man. Like that, that's, <laughs> that's impressive that you're getting all that done. And yeah. I can kind of relate to what you're saying about, uh, you know, go, going from band to, to solo because at the job I'm currently in, I'm like a one man data science team, which is awesome. But like, you know, there's a lot of work that I have to do by myself. And I kind yeah. of miss like my old company where I had like the most awesome team and it's just like that magic of being able to work with other people and bounce ideas and, and creativity off one another to solve problems let's get into stat quest now uh, let's talk about All the right. genesis of stat quest what was the inspiration behind creating it so uh, uh at the time i was working in a lab a genetics lab with a bunch of wet scientists and i was the stat guy and they gave me their data and i gave them their p values that was the deal but i don't know for some reason i felt like you guys have to understand what i'm doing because i don't want this to be magic i thought it would help them if they knew like if they knew what was actually happening so i started creating these sort of like friday morning i called it back then i called it stat chat i said hey we're gonna have a little stat chat you know, and I would try to explain what a t-test was to them, or I try to explain what a confidence interval to them or a p-value or all these like kind of basic fundamental statistics concepts. One day I, I've just, for fun, I decided to put it on, on YouTube with the idea, not that, not that the world would be like, Hey, stat chat, this is awesome. What it really was, was just a reference for the people I was working with. Cause I was like, I could do a video. And then when a new person comes to the lab and they have this question, I go, Hey, just check out this video. Bam. You got it. And so that was the original intention. And that's the way it was for a long time. Cause nobody watched any of these videos except for like the three people I worked with. But then all of a sudden, you know, the way the internet is, some, some people started watching some of these and people started subscribing and then it kind of, snowballed and grew well beyond my wildest dreams. I mean, they were even dreams back then. I, it was not even a, a concept that people would watch this other than friends and family and coworkers, but, but yeah, that's how it started. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Let me just cross 250 subscribers just recently, like I think yeah. within a couple of weeks ago. And, and since then, like it's grown to nearly 270 by, by 18,000 in just that short, short amount of time. That's it's totally insane. bonkers. Yeah. It's totally yeah. insane. That's not, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I'm a, I'm a mentor for a platform, you know, for up and coming data scientists. And I often refer my mentees to tutor videos oh, uh, to wow. check it out, to, to learn. I've, I've been referring to StackQuest videos for a long time as well, man. So oh. your contributions there in that, in that space has been amazing. I know they've helped millions of people, literally millions of people. So. <laughs> I know. Isn't that crazy? It, Whoa. So what, what would you say is the mission of StatQuest? What's one of the things that you want people to take with them when they come across your channel? I mean, at least the people I used to work with, they'd be like, I cannot understand statistics. I, I'm a biologist. There's a reason why I took that class. I took as, you know, I took this 
the bare minimum and I never did it again because I'm a biologist or I'm a something else. But what what I really want people to take home is that anyone can understand these things. 99 times out of 100, the only thing between them and understanding is fancy terminology and fancy notation. The concepts are simple. They're just hidden underneath intimidating lingo. That's what I want people to understand that that it's not them. It's not that they're not smart enough. It's not that they're not mathy enough. It's not, it's none of those things apply. What it is, is there's just fancy lingo and notation that's covering it up. All you need to do is have, have someone just push that stuff aside and you'll see the, the core nuggets of what statistics are and you can understand it. Anyone can understand it. It's not a secret and it's not something that only math people can understand. When you're first confronted with this stuff, with the, with the topics, like it seems daunting with all these weird looking symbols and these abstract ideas, but the way you break it down, make it really concrete and digestible, it makes it super approachable. Was there any like internal hesitation or fear with creating the content and then sharing it. How did you overcome it? Did you just go for it? Like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Seth Godin and Stephen Pressfield. They have this concept called the resistance. Mm, Uh, So the resistance is that it's a a amygdalic response, right? It's your lizard brain telling you not to put your art out there for the world because, (laughs) because you might be laughed at. You might, might not be appreciated by, by the audience, right? Was there any of that? And if so, how did you overcome that? There's always been a lot of fear and a lot of doubt. And to this day, to this day, all that stuff is there. A lot of it stems from the fact that my goal is to come up with something new and not just to repeat someone what someone else said with a, like a minor twist. I've always thought that the reason why my coworkers did not understand statistics in their statistics class was whatever they were getting, they didn't relate to it. So I've got to come up with something new. I can't repeat. I can't just say, well... I took that class too. And this is what they told me. I'm just going to tell it to you again. I needed to come up with something they could relate to. And when I do that, I'm coming up with a new way, or at least in my own opinion, it's a new way to present it. And that is, for me, is very scary because I could be wrong. You know, uh, it could be that my way of breaking it down, maybe I missed something. Maybe, maybe I didn't do the, obviously I didn't do the math right. Uh, but, uh, but that's a, that's a scary thing. And on the one hand, it's great having a large audience, but that audience has also shaped me on the journey as well. Like I can't anticipate everybody's questions or where people are going to get confused all the time. But over the years, I've, People have watched my videos and they'd be like, this doesn't make any sense at all. And so, and, the, and enough people will point at that one moment and I'll go, okay, that's something I need to anticipate next time. Or that's the kind of thing that trips people up. But it is very scary and intimidating. The good, the way I get over it, how do I get over this fear? Because when you have a lot of people watching your stuff and, and you're wrong, it's very embarrassing. I don't know. It's, it's kind of dark. It's not just embarrassing. It's kind of dark times. However, what I do is a crazy amount of research and I do everything I can to check my work. Uh, I'll write programs to validate what I'm my, my new or whatever my approach is. I'll take existing programs apart piece by piece and I'll read them one line by line until I understand everything that's going on. And what I like about that is it forces me to be more confident and more sure that I'm correct. And ultimately, because of all that research, you know, I just take that and then I pour it into the video. And so everyone gets the benefit of my fear and doubt, which drives me to do all that research. It's probably a good thing that, I've, that I'm a little nervous and a little freaking out because it, it pushes me just a little harder to make sure that what I'm talking about is correct and to do that research and not just kind of like knock stuff out. I, um, you know, each stat quest I do, 
takes a long, long time and, 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 and there's a lot of effort goes into it. And that's why I just have to do a ton of research. This question might seem redundant after everything you just yeah. said, but what's the most challenging part for you when it comes to creating content for the channel? Well, I don't know if there's, what's the most, but there's, there are different parts. There's the part that says, I can't do it. Like I can't actually come up with a new way to explain this, or I'll be honest. Uh, maybe I don't even understand the concept itself. Like that's, that's fear. Number one. Will I, like, I remember when I was doing PCA working on PCA, I didn't understand it. Didn't make any sense to me. And that was one of the reasons why I was working on it to begin with. Cause like, I need to understand this for my work, for, for my coworkers. I got to get this, but there's some doubt there. That's a scary thing to get over. But then there's, you know, the, the other hard thing and maybe, maybe is harder, just the blank page, you know, and looking at that and going, somehow I have to pull a rough draft out of it. If I can get that rough draft, I'm golden. Just that blanks page. That is so scary. <laughs> so, so that's the hardest part for me is probably, uh, you know, writing the first words or just starting to sketch stuff out. It's, it's easy, but it's so scary at the same time. I've been, uh, reading lots of Marcus Aurelius lately, uh, the oh, meditations, geez. he's got a line in there, the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way that blank page is standing yeah. in the way and that becomes the way that you push through it. Yeah. Uh, so, so what's your personal favorite video from the archives? My personal favorite is, uh, our, uh, it's like a series that I did on linear models. Um, I spent, I've, I've been thinking about linear models for years before I made those videos and trying, like, you know, it wasn't like I was spent 40 hours a week on it for years, but it was just something I toyed around with. And I was like, oh, there's gotta be a better way to explain this. There has to be. And I remember I was running with my friend Dominic and I was like, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy. And he was like, what, what just happened? I'm like, I figured out how to explain linear models. And he goes, okay, give it to me. And so I tried to explain it to him while we're jogging and it was a total disaster. And he's like, okay, I don't see what you're getting at. But I then spent the next maybe, maybe couple of months, maybe six months even just sort of like starting to work on the figures and whatnot and how to illustrate things. I'm just really proud of that, that I got those videos done. And it's just something I've always thought could be explained in a easier, simpler way. And I believe I did it. So I'm really proud of those videos. That's awesome, man. Definitely have to yeah. go back and revisit that one. And I'll share, <laughs> share those on the show notes as well. And that's interesting that, you know, you're on a run uh, and then that epiphany happens. I think that's yeah. a common, common theme amongst them. Um, most creative people is, you know, when they're out away from the actual work, engaged in some type of physical activity or meditation, what have you, that's yeah. when those insights really come, come to light. So it's, it's important, I think, to balance, right? Like not just be heads down in the books or working all the time, take some time away, go yeah. clear your head. And that's when those insights come up. Um, so would you say that that is the absolute must for all statisticians and data scientists to check out would be that series of videos? I think so. If you're aspiring in either of those fields, uh, I feel like um, linear models is basically, they form the heart of a big part of what statistics and machine learning are. And if you can understand those, you're well understand on your way to understanding all of it. Because even other other methods will uh, kind of fall back on on 
regression techniques um like a like gradient boost uh uses a lot of regression techniques and a lot of regression terminology if you understand you're well versed in linear models then then yeah you are well on your way to understanding whatever other algorithms out there funny you bring up gradient boost actually true fact here um i was using gradient boosting trees to solve something at work and i had to present it to my ceo and uh, some sales people higher level sales people literally i went to the stat quest video on gradient boost and copied down everything you said and then redigested it and presented that and they understood it man so those those, what would you say is the most misunderstood concept from statistics and machine learning and why do you think that learners keep getting tripped up on it i don't really know what it is but i will say something that a lot of people get confused about and it's real simple it's that the probability that any that a continuous thing like measuring height or measuring weight that measuring any specific height or any specific weight, the probability of that occurring is zero. That blows a lot of people's minds. And they're like, what do you mean? You know, cause like how, how could that pop? I mean, clearly if the average person weighs 150 pounds or whatever the weight is, um, how could the probability of weighing someone be z- 150 pounds be zero? And so the way I, I've starting to try to explain this is, um, and actually, I might I might make a little mini stat quest that just can, explains this one concept. Yeah, sure. Weighing hundred, someone who weighs one hundred fifty pounds might seem like there's a high probability event, but how, what's the probability you'll weigh someone who weighs one hundred fifty point zero 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 zero? And then what's the probability? And that's probably a little smaller, right? And then what's the probability you weigh someone who who weighs one hundred fifty? Point zero 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 zero. That's probably a little smaller, right? And then you can just keep those zeros going all the way, you know, for a million miles. You just keep going, and you and and then you're like, oh yeah, the probability of having that that much precision, that much accuracy, and then just nailing it, one hundred fifty on the head. Yeah, that gets infinitely smaller the more precision we add to it. So I think that's the way I'm going to explain it. I think I'm going to make a little mini, like two minute long stat quest just on that one concept, uh, because I know a lot of people get, get, get stumbled on, on that. It sounds weird at first, but as soon as you start bringing in that precision, you're like, Oh, I get it. Yeah. It's no big deal. Are you an aspiring data scientist struggling to break into the field? Well, then check out dsdj.co forward slash artists to reserve your spot for a free informational webinar on how you can break into the field. That's going to be filled with amazing tips that are specifically designed to help you land your first job. Check it out. dsdj.co forward slash artists. Is it? important to learn all the formulas and equations, even though we have advanced software that does the work. (laughs) I know one formula. I know the formula for the standard error (laughs) and and look how far I've gotten. (laughs) I don't think it's important at all. Um, I know I probably a ton of people would disagree with me, um, but I'm one of those people where Google is my long-term memory and I prefer to uh, store just the essential concepts, the ideas, give me in the ballpark, if I need details, I can always research those later. Um, so I'm a big sort of like big concept person. Focus on those equations. They'll, they're there when you need them. I've, I've never been like, I wish I knew this equation off the top of my head. <laughs> I've, I've never been in that situation. <laughs> and, I, and I don't know many equations off the top of my head. I, I mean, actually, 
I was just looking at the normal distribution equation yesterday. So maybe I could tell it to you off the top of my head, but if I hadn't just looked yesterday, I'd probably be like, Oh, I don't know. Um, so, so once upon a time I was an actuary, uh, yeah. and take a series of exams for that. And you have to memorize all of these, uh, all, all of the formulas. So if I recall correctly, I think the normal distribution formula is one over two pi sigma squared e to the like negative x minus mu squared over sigma. I don't know, something like that. But <laughs> so you got a lot farther than I would have. That's impressive. <laughs> These things haunt That's amazing. Me. That they how do they me. how do they think that would be useful in your daily life? <laughs> That's amazing. The, the entirety of exam one is uh, just theoretical probabilities, foundational probability. And it's wow. all having, having you're taking the exams and the only thing you're allowed to bring into the exam is a, uh, a TI calculator and not like a TI 83, but like one, just yeah. a regular TI calculator. Uh, and yeah, you have to do, do everything by memory. It was brutal, man. It's one of the reasons. Wow. I left, one of the reasons I, I'd left that field. I couldn't, you know, after four exams, I just couldn't do any more. I was so bonkers. Yeah, that's not for me. Uh, yeah. So I was looking at your at, at the facts on your website. Question uh-huh. one: Can you recommend a good book for learning statistics? Uh, I thought the answer was hilarious because I know it to be true for my own reasons. Yeah. Uh, but I was wondering if you could elaborate. First, tell us what your answer was, and and maybe tell us why why is it so hard to find a good book for learning statistics? Yeah, the answer is no. Uh, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I have not read a billion statistics textbooks. I've read a handful of them, and some of them kind of speak to me a little bit, but most of them don't speak to me at all. I mean, my explanation is there's not a lot of innovation in in teaching, and I, I've always thought that if you want to educate someone you have to connect with them and you have to relate with them and you have to see the material from their perspective, not yours, not the way you were taught, you know, like, Oh, I, I was taught this way. So I'm going to teach this way. Um, no, you have to say, what are your experiences? How do you see this problem through your eyes? How can we see the solution to that problem? And I just, I'll be honest, I just don't, don't see a lot of educators actually doing that. I think it's really important to, to, to understand what it's like to, to be scared of equations, to understand what it's like to, to look at Greek. And I apologize to all the Greek people in the world, uh, but for a non-Greek person to look at those Greek characters and go, I don't even know what that is. That's a weird squiggle. You know, that's a, there's a lot of fear and a lot of like confusion that can often be replaced by just using a word instead of a, a symbol to represent something. It's all about trying to communicate. And I just don't think a lot of teachers are thinking about communicating. They're thinking about, the material, sure. And they're thinking about what the important concepts are, but they're not thinking about communicating. And that's the whole point of a textbook is to communicate a concept. So I want to get your perspective on if you consider data science, machine learning to be an art or purely a science <laughs> and, and why? Uh, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I mean, a lot of data science is grounded in solid statistical theory. But not all of it is, to be honest. Like it, there's a there is an element of the wild west of um, data science is just a few steps ahead of solid statistical grounding because the data is just coming at us too fast. Um, I mean, has anyone done like a full like statistical you know underpinning analysis of xg boost? I don't think so. Uh, I know I know how the equations were derived, but has anyone proved that it's like? Norm, asymptotically normal or you know what I'm saying like there's all this stuff that kind of comes in later 
often, uh, whereas there's all these pioneers that are just sort of like chipping it away with, with whatever seems to work. And there's a lot of that in data science, data science and machine learning where we're like, well, it, it works. I mean, not all of it, but, but there's a lot of it. Um, uh, so there's an art form there, but there's a science because there is a lot of statistical theory and a lot of the older techniques are really well grounded in that. And as older, it, just because they're older doesn't make them any less useful. I mean, the hammer and the screwdriver have been around forever. I still use them all the time. Uh, I don't always need to use my like battery, you know, rechargeable battery circular saw or whatever. I can use a hammer and a, and a, and a, and a screwdriver. So age isn't really a factor. And so there's a lot of statistical Plus, when we're talking about art, let's talk about drawing graphs and like presenting data and making it look beautiful, but also interpretable. I mean, you can go both ways there. You can get artsy in ways that like makes your graph and data inscrutable, or you can make it clear and crystal. And that's, I feel like that's an art form too. Color choice, stuff like that. That's all important. It seems like a little thing, but it's a big deal, especially when you're around someone who knows what they're doing and you're like, dang. That is beautiful data. And that's a, that's an art form right there. So what role would you say being creative and curious plays in being successful as a data scientist? And how could someone who doesn't see themselves as creative actually be creative? Being creative, I believe, is critical to data science. It's like, it's fundamental because what do we do? We create insights. We create new knowledge out of a pile of data. So that's creation. Uh, and that's a very creative act. And that's what we do every day. That's what we're always asked to do. It may not seem very creative because we're just like applying an algorithm or sitting at a computer, but we are generating new knowledge and new insights that never existed before. And I believe as people, you know, if you don't think you're creative, okay, uh, that's fine. But I, I think you should think again, because I feel like people are by their, their very nature creative. We create things all the time. We create children, for example, they're not copies, but they're new and unique. Not everyone, but most everyone can do that. I mean, it's not a big deal. I mean, some people do it by accident. <laughs> I mean, so, uh, and that's, that's being creative. Um, there's all kinds of ways to be creative that, that you may not realize are very creative. You're creating new stuff. So if you don't think you can create something new, think again and look around because chances are you are. And data science is just another way to do that. Very, very beautifully put. Uh, speaking of creating children, I just, uh, wife and I just had our first baby a few weeks oh, ago. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. That to me is the ultimate creativity. You know, I feel like yeah. that's the top of, of, of what humanity can do. Yeah. So. Very beautifully put. So what would you say are the similarities and differences in the creative process for, let's say, writing a research public publication, uh, composing music, or creating a YouTube video? Well, one thing is similar is they all start with a scary blank page. They all, That's just when you're creating something, you start with nothing and you got to build something. You know, that, and that's always super scary. And so they all have that in common and they all have tricks and ways to kind of motivate yourself to get over that. They all, they all have to have some sort of inspiration that's going to get you from blank page to something uh, the big difference for me, for all those things is knowing when I'm done. Um, and music being like the most ambiguous of them all. Whereas like when I uh, do, um, Research publications, you kind of know what you want to do. You got to cover these points. You got to tell a story in a certain way. You've got your data. You want to hit on those figures. Uh, when I'm doing a, um, a stat course, I know what the concept is I need to explain. You know, I may not always know what the best way to go about it, but I can start chipping away. And I, and I do recognize once the concept is there. I'm like, yep, that's solid. But with music, it's like, 
what do you mean we're done? I mean, I could, I could throw everything away and like start over with the piano or I could add a drums or, you know, it's like, there's, there's less that says when you're done in some ways that makes music a little scarier. Cause you just have to decide you're done. You're like, well, that's, I guess that's the song. Me, I guess music's scary at the beginning, fun in the middle, and then scary at the ending. <laughs> whereas, whereas everything else is sort of scary in the beginning and then just sort of fun uh, for the rest of the way. Uh, last question before we go into lightning round. Okay. And that, and that is what's the one thing you want people to learn from your story? I, I think my story is you don't have to be the smartest kid in math class to be awesome at data science. And I like math, but to be honest, it's not something I'm very good at. And, and I will be the first person to say math is hard. Um, I don't just sit down there and, and read a math book and go, oh yeah, I could prove that stuff. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy flipping to the back of the book, trying to find the answer to being like, oh my gosh, how'd they do that? That's, that's genius. But because I struggle with it, I have to take it slow. And by taking it slow, that's how I know how to explain each step to everyone. That when, uh, when I break things down into small pieces, I'm not doing it for you or, or the audience. I'm doing it for myself. And I think, I think a lot of people look at me and they go, oh, you must be good at that stuff. But it's actually the opposite. It's because I struggle that I'm good at explaining it. And, um, and, I, and that's why I think anyone can learn this stuff. Because I feel like if I can do it, so can you. Uh, so that's what I think people should take home that, that it's, it's never out of their reach. I love it, man. Very, very well put. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into the lightning round. How did the catchphrase BAM start? <laughs> I really don't know. I just started saying it a lot and I still say it a lot. And if you hang out with me, I will probably say it once every couple of minutes. Um, I just say BAM. And then I was realized I needed to add emphasis because some things were even cooler than BAM. So I started saying double BAM. And triple BAM was uh, just the next logical step. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just, I was, I, I think I was talking to my lab mates and I was like, check it out guys. This is how statistics works. Bam. And, uh, and there it was uh, the BAM. I let it out of the cage. So what do you see StatQuest becoming in the next two to four years? I, I would love ultimately for StatQuest to become more than just me. So right now it's a one man operation. I'd love to grow it because I, because I feel like there's so much more material we could cover. I, I can only get so far uh, and it would be fun to kind of work with like-minded people and just cover a whole lot more. Uh, so that that's cause that's sort of like a, a fantasy. Another fantasy I have, um, which I'm getting closer to is also, um, you know, doing like a diploma, like a stat quest diploma thing. Um, I think that'd be fun to do. And I've been kind of chipping away at it from like random angles for a long time, but I think it's finally starting to, to take shape as, as a, as a legitimate curriculum. Uh, so that, that may happen in the next two to four years. I'm looking forward to both those things. So apart from your own music, what are your top three <laughs> favorite musical artists? Yeah. So, um, this is kind of funny. Uh, I don't actually listen to very much music at all. I know, I know that sounds crazy, but it's actually true. I, I rarely, if ever, listen to music. Um, that said, about 10 years ago, I was really into Andrew Bird. So 
<laughs> I thought he was fantastic. But now mostly I just sing to myself, I'm a big fan of Beethoven. I love Beethoven. I, I listen to like 15 minutes of classical music every morning. If I do listen to music, that's what I listen to. I'm, not that I'm some like weird person in a, in a, in a tower off. By, I mean, I, people are playing music around me all the time and I always hear me, new music. And I've got a, uh, you know, as a musician, I've got a lot of musician friends that are always playing me their music. And I'm around music, but I, but I don't actually pursue listening to music. Just, I know weird. I was going to ask you what your favorite song was. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, but, um, but I do have a, I do have songs that, uh, that I, uh, uh, like there's a song that I recently heard, uh, by a relatively contemporary band that I just think is fantastic. And it's, and it's been stuck in my head, uh, for like the past month and a half. And I've only heard it once but it's just been lodged in there. And it's a song called fortune by a band called Y Oak. I had a friend who uh, engineered. So basically they, uh, they set up the microphones, they made sure everything was sounding good and they recorded everything. And I know the people that mixed it. And so I heard it through that way. And it's just been like, wow, that's a crazy good song. So even though I don't really listen to music, I, I guess I have a, a song stuck in my head. So what's the number one book, fiction, nonfiction, or both, uh, that you would recommend our audience read and your most impactful takeaway from it? I wish I, had, I could recommend something deep, uh, but what I, I've been rereading uh, all of Neil Stevenson's books right now. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever seen these things. These things are monstrous. There's like thousand page tomes um, that he writes in the guise of like an action thriller. Uh, but there's actually a good amount of philosophy lodged in there. And I just love the combination of like action packed thriller and philosophy. Who does that? And I could just watch, I could just read Neil Stevenson books over and over and over again. I, there's so, they're so rich and there's the characters. I always see new things in them every time. And, um, yeah, I just love them. I mean, they're, they're light and fun, but also deep and rich. So I gotta check that out. Yeah. So if we could somehow get a magical telephone that allowed you to contact 18 year old Joshua, what would you tell him? And first give us some context, 18 year old Joshua, what was he up to? Where was he at? Uh, and, and what would you tell him? So at 18 years old, I was determined to become a professional cello player. That was my goal in life. Uh, and, and in addition to that, I saw myself as maybe going into film scores um, I was, I mean, back then I was, I was already, I was writing music back then. Um, by the way, I feel like I've got to put an asterisk next to this. Um, if people are familiar with StatQuest theme songs, that's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about my own music. The StatQuest theme songs are intentionally silly, unrehearsed, and just spur of the moment spasms of fun. Um, whereas like I, when it comes to me writing music, I'm very serious about it. I've always been very serious about it. Um, and so don't get confused by, by me singing in a terrible falsetto uh, with a banjo. Uh, that's different. Um, yeah. It's uh, important, important, <laughs> important to make that distinction because yeah. people are like, holy smokes, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> um, but when I was 18, I really just wanted to be a, I loved playing the cello more than anything. I just had a real strong passion for it. Um, I wasn't great at it. I wasn't very good at it, but I just loved playing it. And I loved music and I loved writing music and I loved film scores. And I just had this fantasy that those would be things that I'd be doing at this stage in my life right now. Um, and if I had to go back and, and tell myself what actually happened, I don't think I would believe it. <laughs> I mean, to say that, 
you know, you actually had those opportunities to, you know, you played cello professionally, you, you did write some soundtrack music and you, you didn't enjoy it as much as you thought you'd enjoy it. But what you really thought would be fun, what you, you know, what ended up being like super fun and super passionate statistics. I mean, what 18 year old is going to be like, yeah, right. You know, no way. No one's going to believe that. <laughs> so do, do you have a, a favorite film score? Oh, you know, I haven't listened to it in forever, but when I was a kid, when I was 18, uh, Peter Gabriel scored the last temptation of Christ. It's a Martin Scorsese movie that I've never seen. I just remember there were protests like crazy, but the soundtrack blew my mind. It was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever heard. And I think I listened to it every day for like five years I, I could not stop listening to it. And that was a, that was sort of a big transformative thing. I was like, I want to, I want to make music like this. This is pure beauty. So, Check that out um, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the best advice you've ever received? I've gotten two, two things. My father always said, do something you're passionate about. Oh, and he, he also said, focus on the main idea. So those are two good things for my pop. My boss always said, do the most important thing you can do. And that advice, and when you're, when you're younger, when I was younger, I didn't know what the most important thing I could do was. And so that advice isn't super helpful. I mean, you can try to search for the most important thing you can do, but, but for me, I just stumbled over it. And for me, that was StatQuest. About a year ago, it just dawned on me that, that StatQuest was the most important thing I could be spending my time on because that's, if I'm gonna make a mark on this earth, that's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to, in my own little world, in my own little space, I'm going to try to revolutionize how this material is being taught. And I think I can do it. And, and it, and it may, it may, it may not reach that many people, uh, but, but I think that's my gift and that's my skill. And that's something I'm really good at that, uh, that I think is special about me. And that's what I need to be doing. I need to be doing stat quest. I need to be explaining statistics. I need to be explaining machine learning and I need to spend as much time doing it as I can, because that's how I'm going to, uh, that's how I'm going to help. If I can do anything to help make the world a better place, that's how I'll do it. Yeah. That really resonates with you, man. It really, really, really hits me. Uh, I kind of feel the same way about this podcast. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that by sharing other people's stories, sharing other people's journeys, uh, that people realize that it's not, you know, peak to peak to peak, that, you know, people go through ups and downs and people have to actually learn this thing. You're not just fresh out the womb, a statistician, yeah. right? You put in the work, you put in the effort, you put in the persistence over a period of time and then you develop mastery. And I, yeah. I hope that's what my audience is, is gaining from every interview that I'm doing. Um, but yeah, that, that really yeah. resonates with me. Um, so what motivates you? Um, well, I talked about this a little bit is the big motivation, or at least right now is I've only, you know, I won't be here forever. I've got to get this done now. Um, uh, so that's a big, a big motivator is I know, I know it's something I'm good at. I know I can do it. I, and I know that's, that's, that's the most important thing I can be doing. So that's a big motivator. How can people connect with you? Where can they find you online? Well, one way, what's an easy way is to comment on a video if, you've, if you can. Uh, but you can also contact me through my website, stackquest.org. 
and I'm also on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, um, so that, yeah, there's lots of ways to get in touch with me. I will say, I don't always respond to everything I get, but I do read everything. Um, good, bad, love me, hate me. I will read anything that gets sent my way. Uh, I don't, like I said, I don't always respond. Um, you know, someone will, a lot of people ask me like, Hey, can you do a stat quest on, on a topic I've never even heard of before? <laughs> and I actually like those emails, you know, uh, because, because the next thing you know, I'm like, I'm a Google in it. I'm like, what is this? Oh, this is cool. And I'm getting into it, but I don't always respond to those. Cause I, cause I can't, I don't, I can't come up with an answer to that. It's like, I could. And if I had a lot of time, I would get to it, but I don't know. I can't make any promises. So I'm like, rather than make myself feel uncomfortable, I'm just not going to respond, but I do read everything. So how do you not let the negative comments affect you? Like, Oh, that, that takes practice. (laughs) That was really hard to do very early on. I wasn't expecting it. Like I remember the very first really negative comment I got shook me real bad uh, because I mean, let's face it. What, 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 what am I trying to accomplish? All I'm trying to do is help you understand your homework. I'm not like I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not, you know, I, 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 I went into it really naive. I mean, the internet is a big place and, and, the, and it's fun to kind of build up a channel and build up a reputation uh, but you know, imagine this normal curve and we've got 95% or, you know, 97% of the people are on the good side over here. But there's that 2.5% that once you start sampling large proportions of the overall population, sooner or later you're going to hit those people. And, uh, what do I do? I mean, the first time it hit me really hard now I'm, I'm better at, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know how to say it. Like I don't, I try not to take it personally. I, I, I talk to, I, I will say, Early on, when I, when I got this feed, I talked to some friends about it. And my friend Brian Risk, he said, "Well, that guy obviously has no life." And I was like, "Oh, oh yeah, that's that's probably true." You know, and he, the way he just he just was like he didn't even think about it. He was just like, "Clearly, he has no life." I mean, what you're doing is great. Um, and so now I just like you know when I see the you know every now and then you just get someone who really hates my intro song or something like that, and I and I just hear Brian on my shoulder. He goes, "Don't worry about it," I go, you know whatever, you know, um, and I'm getting better at it over, over time, but it is, it was a big shock early on, uh, when, you know, it's not like I got a lot and it's not like it's, it, I literally is probably like one in a thousand comments, maybe once every like three or four months. Um, you know, when you've got uh, 12 million people watching your videos or something like that, there's, there's some crazy people out there I and mean, there's, but everyone else is great. Um, but when you get it, I remember the first time I was like, Oh my God, that's, that's, how could they say that about me? But now I'm, I'm getting a little bit better and, and, and I'm better perspective perspective of like, don't forget, don't forget about that 97.5% of the, that vast majority of people that are, are good people. And, and it's just the occasional weirdo on the internet. And that's just, that's the nature of the internet, you know? So if you, if any, anyone who gets a, a, a large enough audience, you're inevitably going to run into these people. Cause that's, this is what they, this is what they do for their hobby. I guess that's, that's what they think is going to be their the way they mark the earth. So. so horrible imprint to leave. <laughs> Josh, exactly. you're making an awesome imprint. You're, you're contributing so much to the community. Thank you so much. And our, yeah. you know, just thank you for taking time out of your schedule to, to be here on the show with me today. I really, really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. It's very, very, very flattering to to have you host me. It's uh, it's always been a dream to be on a podcast, and this is my first. So <laughs> I love it. Thank you. 